Does this feel like 100 days? Does it feel like 100 days? Feels like 100 years. Have you taken a break yet? Got one planned this weekend. <laughs> Is that your first? That'll be my first, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> so, remember the Great Recession? At its worst, the unemployment rate hit somewhere north of 10%. That's bad, right? Well, imagine how bad it was during the Great Depression, when the unemployment rate got up near 25%. Food shortages, bread lines, multiples worse than what we saw during the recession. In the middle of the Depression, in 1932, Americans voted the incumbent president, Herbert Hoover, out of office and elected Franklin Roosevelt. Now, when Roosevelt took office the next year, he went on this legislating spree. The Democratic Congress approved so many bills so quickly that one comedian said they weren't passing legislation, they were just waving at them as they went by. And in the process, Roosevelt set a standard by which every president since has been judged, a standard President Trump now faces as he reaches the end of his first 100 days in office. Hey, I'm Reed Wilson, and this is The Hill's History Cast, a podcast on the history and culture of American politics. Today, we're talking about the first 100 days of a new presidential administration, how that milestone became important, how much it's frustrated every president since Roosevelt, and how Trump measures up. It was Roosevelt himself who invented this idea that 100 days was an appropriate measure of time by which to judge an administration's progress. This is my colleague Jonathan Easley. He covers politics and the White House for the Hill. It's hard to overstate the kind of panic that gripped the nation as Roosevelt took office. You know, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the measure of 30 top stocks that's supposed to give a broad overview of the stock market? Today, it's at about 21,000. In a two-month span between September and November of 1929, it dropped from about 370 points to about 198 points. That's like dropping 10,000 points today. Some of the stockbrokers who couldn't handle the money they lost just threw themselves out the window. By the time Roosevelt won office in 1932, the Dow had fallen by about 90%. The number of people who didn't have jobs had grown almost tenfold. There was no way President Hoover was going to survive. He won just six states. Roosevelt took 42 states, one of the biggest political routes in history. In those days, a new president was inaugurated in March rather than in January like we do today. And it wasn't even customary for Congress to convene their new session until much, much later. But because of the crisis they faced during the Depression, Roosevelt summoned Congress to Washington right away. Ed Berkowitz is a history professor at the George Washington University. The system was a little bit different in those days. They, they, they didn't meet until like the November, like a year after the election. It took more than a year for Congress to meet. Um, and so... Uh, it was not that normal for them to meet right when the president was inaugurated, but he, he called them into, into special session. Over the next hundred days, Congress passed a huge number of bills, part of what Roosevelt called his New Deal. To put Roosevelt's success in passing so many bills into context, he got more legislation through in the first 100-day period than Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama combined. Some of the 76 bills Roosevelt signed included measures funneling millions of dollars to states and cities to help people who had lost their jobs. And they created a bunch of new government agencies that were supposed to put people to work, like the Civil Works Administration, the Works Progress Administration, the Civilian Conservation Corps, even the Tennessee Valley Authority, which is still around today, passed in Roosevelt's first 100 days. Basically, Congress was freaked out about how bad the Depression was, so they just rubber-stamped whatever Roosevelt wanted. Here's Ed Berkowitz again. He had 
a very compliant Congress. That wasn't their nature, but everybody was confused about what they should do. They were looking for leadership, and they were so eager to pass legislation about things like banking and um, other things having to do with the economy that they they would they were willing to pass things they hadn't even seen. You know, they just say, let's just vote. On July 24th, 1933, Roosevelt sat down in front of a microphone to deliver a national radio address, his third fireside chat, and he unintentionally created a new standard for future presidents. We couldn't find audio of that chat, but here's how he started. After the adjournment of the historical special session of Congress five weeks ago, I purposefully refrained from addressing you for two very good reasons. First, I think that we all wanted the opportunity of a little quiet thought to examine and assimilate in a mental picture the crowding events of the hundred days which had been devoted to starting the wheels of the New Deal. There you go, 100 days. But Berkowitz said the funny thing about the bills Roosevelt pushed in his first 100 days weren't the ones that had the most lasting impact on his legacy. A lot of those bills got overturned later by the Supreme Court. The stuff from what they today call the, the, the first New Deal, stuff passed in 1933, actually less enduring than stuff passed a little bit later. I think what we remember about that is just the, the fact that he, he hit the ground running, he took action, he, he was willing to experiment. There's no real reason to judge an administration that's still trying to figure out how to run government after only 100 days except for the fact that Roosevelt laid down the marker. So this idea is not a, some kind of uh, an institutional idea. There's no institutional basis for it at all. Nothing happens after 100 days. Um, they don't come in and say, okay, 100 days are up. We're taking away the key to the restroom or whatever. But um, it just became this sort of like metaphor or trope or something that the press would, would use. Every president since Roosevelt has been held to this 100-day standard. And some presidents even acknowledge right up front that they won't have accomplished much during their first few months in office. Listen to John F. Kennedy's inaugural address after he laid out this laundry list of priorities he wants to pursue. All this will not be finished in the first 100 days, nor will it be finished in the first 1,000 days, nor in the life of this administration, nor even perhaps in our lifetime on this planet. But let us begin. To get a sense of how much a new administration pays attention to the 100-day marker, we sat down with Jim Papa, a Democratic strategist here in D.C. He spent the first years of the Obama administration working in the legislative affairs shop, the office in the White House that lobbies Congress. I asked him how a new administration deals with the knowledge that the media is going to judge them based on their first days in office. It's, it is there. And I think anyone who says it's an arbitrary date is right. It, it is somewhat arbitrary, but it's also somewhat meaningful. I think after 100 days, it is actually a bit of a fair assessment to look back and ask, how are we doing? You know, how do, how do we get out of the gate? It's not indicative of how the next, you know, four years are going to go, but it's a good time to pause and assess how things are going so far. Jim said that while the White House might hate the 100-day designation, they certainly circle it on the calendar. In their early morning meetings every day, top Obama officials would go around the room delivering status updates on the bills or executive actions they wanted to get done in their first few months. But there were marks that we had to hit, um, or at least that were part of our plan to hit, um, you know, from day one through 100. 
Today, it's President Trump who's dealing with the ghosts of Roosevelt's past. The Trump administration will be 100 days old on Saturday, April 29th, and all week the White House has been going back and forth between claiming the deadline is arbitrary and taking it very seriously. Here's White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer seemingly embracing both ideas in the space of about two minutes during his daily briefing on Monday. There is a lot that I think we feel very proud that we've gotten off, gotten taken, done and taken care of. Uh, when you look at the immigration piece in particular, border crossings way down, the number of executive orders and pieces of legislation the president signed. I think we feel very proud of what we've been able to accomplish and fulfill the promises that he's made to the American people. But I think it's it's got to be kept in context. Um, and I think that's there is sort of this artificial number that gets thrown out. You think about what he started, tax, you know, he'll, he'll move forward on tax reform, health care, on immigration, on trade. It's been a huge, uh, hugely successful first hundred days. Okay, so let's talk about what Trump has actually done in his first 100 days. The White House, which, remember, isn't taking this 100-day mark that seriously, sent out a very helpful fact sheet on Tuesday with a headline that says, President Trump's 100 Days of Historic Accomplishments. They cited 30 executive orders and 28 bills he's signed. Compared to previous presidents, that sounds like a lot. The closest comparisons, Lyndon Johnson signed 26 executive orders in his first 100 days. Harry Truman signed 55 bills in his first 100. But not every bill a president signs is a major landmark piece of legislation. Some of the 28 bills Trump has signed include renaming a VA facility in American Samoa and another one in Pennsylvania. He signed three separate bills appointing new members to the Smithsonian Institution's Board of Regents. He created a new memorial for troops who served in Operations Desert Storm and Desert Shield. He appointed new members to the Board of Directors of the Office of Compliance. And the very first piece of legislation he signed gave his nominee for defense secretary, James Mattis, a waiver to run the Pentagon. There are some consequential measures Trump has signed. Most of them involve rolling back regulations put in place by the Obama administration. Those rules came from the Interior Department, the Labor Department, the Department of Health and Human Services, the Education Department, and the Social Security Administration, and govern everything from who can buy a gun to what kinds of costs mine operators have to pay to clean up streams. Trump also signed a new NASA budget and two measures to encourage women entrepreneurs and women science, technology, engineering, and math students. And probably the biggest thing Trump has accomplished is getting Justice Neil Gorsuch on the Supreme Court. But next to other presidents, the laws Trump has signed don't exactly add up to a great start for his agenda. In Obama's first 100 days, he signed the massive economic stimulus plan. Bill Clinton signed the Family and Medical Leave Act. Kennedy created the Peace Corps. Political scientists have actually studied what it takes to get really impactful legislation passed in the first 100 days. It's really important to have a Congress controlled by your own party. It's almost as important to face a big economic crisis. Presidents like Roosevelt, Reagan, Clinton, and Obama all started their terms when the country was recovering from a recession, and they all got off to fast starts. The question for the Trump administration now is, how do they kickstart their agenda on Capitol Hill? Sure, a presidential administration is four years long, but the time when a president actually gets to shape what happens in Congress is a lot shorter than that. Jim Papa made this other point, one that's especially relevant in today's hyper-political culture. Members of Congress are always looking ahead to the next election and the most controversial bills rarely advance in an election year. So a new administration really only has maybe 12 months to get its agenda moving. And 100 days coincides with the first big break Congress takes during the year. If you look at the congressional calendar, I like to think of it as kind of like a hockey game with three periods. 
you've got the start of the session to about the Easter recess as period one. Period two is after the Easter recess to the August break. And then period three is after that, from September to the end of the year. And right now, we are at the midpoint between you know, the first and second periods. What you do in that first period actually means a great deal to what you're going to be able to accomplish in periods two and three. So here's an example of that point. In George W. Bush's first 100 days, his administration only passed seven bills. But by the end of the 100 days, two of Bush's really big priorities, no child left behind and a trillion dollar tax cut, had already started making their way through Congress. Back before Election Day, Trump promised he would introduce 10 pieces of legislation in his first 100 days. They included bills to repeal Obamacare, cut taxes for the middle class, and create new ethics rules to, as he put it, drain the swamp. Of those 10 measures, only one, the Obamacare repeal, was introduced. It didn't even have enough support to pass the House. So 100 days may be a totally arbitrary measure of a presidential administration, but in this case, the Trump administration still has a ways to go. Hey, thanks for listening today. We want your feedback on this episode and what you want to hear about in the future. Email us at podcast at thehill.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at hillhistorycast. Our thanks to Ed Berkowitz at George Washington University and Jim Papa at Global Strategy Group, political scientists John Frendries, Raymond Tatalovich, and John Schaff have studied a president's first hundred days, and we learned a lot from The Lion and the Fox, a great history of Roosevelt's administration. Our producers are Lisa Rule and Maura Whiteman. Jonathan, thanks for joining me today. I'm Reed Wilson, and this is The Hill's History Cast. History Cast.